Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence. Um, we're continuing in a, a sermon, Christmas sermon series, Advent series on uh, faithful, available, teachable, fat. We want to be fat Christians, faithful, available, and teachable. And we're going to look at someone who is not that fat uh, today. We don't ever sing Christmas carols about him. Um, you don't ever see him depicted, depicted on the Hallmark Christmas cards. It's uh, someone who is uh, not a good leader. His name is King Herod the Great. But he's very much a real part of the Christmas story. And we can't ignore him because this world is full of evil and, and suffering and sin. And, uh, and bad things happen in his day and they continue to happen today. And it's important to know that um, there, there's a war being waged for our souls. Very real war. And it kicked into high gear when Jesus was born. We need a Savior. We need a Lord uh, to come to us. And so that's why we're going to focus on King Herod today. It's not a real positive and encouraging Caleb type, type of sermon today. Uh, we'll return to that next week um, when we talk about shepherds and um, wise men and such. But Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So these wise men, these magi, traveled from the east hundreds of miles uh, to get to Jerusalem in search for this newborn king as a response to the star, the prophetic star they saw in the sky and, uh, and the, the prophets saying that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And so they would assume that we're going to go to Jerusalem because he's the king of the Jews, and it makes sense that he'll be born in Jerusalem, uh, the center of Judaism. That's where their temple is, a temple of worship. And so they went to Jerusalem, and they went up to King Herod's palace, and they asked him, hey, we heard that king of the Jews has been born. And King Herod was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Before we look at why Herod and all of Jerusalem was disturbed, let's consider why Herod and all of Jerusalem may not have been disturbed when they had months and maybe a year or a year and a half earlier had heard the shepherd's report, potentially through the grapevine, third hand, whatever. The shepherds, on the night when Jesus was born, the shepherds would have proclaimed that the Savior has been born of this world, Christ the Lord. Why hadn't that caught the ear of Jerusalem or Herod this first, in, during this first advent? Could it be perhaps because Herod didn't give any credence to the message or the messengers? Could it be that he had no respect for the shepherds? They were nobodies in his mind. It's sort of like if you were to read on Facebook from some Yahoo about a prophetic dream that they had uh, that, you know, I had this vivid dream. I believe it's from God. And, I, and he told me that Jesus was going to return in his second advent in the month of January of this coming year. How much credence would we give a Facebook post like that? Could it be that Herod didn't really care whether a Savior was born or not? I don't need a Savior. Life is good for me. Could it be that he was racked with the common condition of apathy about a savior 
Herod would not have been the only one to yawn upon the report of the shepherds. Um, It would seem that nobody responded to the shepherds' message. Nobody would walk five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to investigate the validity of the shepherds' report that a Savior had been born. In verse 4, when he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This would have been a year and a half after the shepherds had spoken of the Savior being born. But even though the chief priests and the teachers of the law who reported to Herod that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, even though they knew this and they taught this prophecy, even they wouldn't have walked the five-mile trek to Bethlehem to uh, investigate the Savior. I wonder, would you have made it a priority to walk five miles just to say, hey, I heard some rumor from these shepherds that a Savior was born? Would you walk the five miles or drive 10 miles or whatever to investigate the truth of this? Well, let me ask you a question that might be pertinent to you today. If you heard that Jesus was going to preach at Countryside next Sunday, Jeremy's on the docket, but if Jesus came and said, you know what, I want to have a chance to preach, Jeremy said, I'm sorry, I'm booked already. No. And so Jesus was going to be here next Sunday. And he would preach on the the affairs of this world. He would give us all that's in his heart. And then then he would be available to meet with each one of us. Whoever wanted to meet with him face to face. And he would speak into our life and, and our issues and whatnot. And he would encourage us. How many would come next week to see him face to face? I think that word got out that there wouldn't be room enough in McPherson to hold the people that would flood to our church. Well, I got a news flash. Jesus is here right now. And he's here to speak to you and communicate with you. He's here to meet with you. He said, where two or more gather in my name, I am there. And I will meet with you. I will do my work in you. <clears throat> Why has our worship of Jesus and our seeking of Jesus and personal confession too, why has it become so optional? or secondary compared to other things in our lives? Could it be because of spiritual apathy? From an article entitled The Seven Deadly Sins by a group of of pastors, um, the seven deadly sin of acedia is spiritual apathy, but even more so. This is what they write, and I will read what they write, a portion of it. They say, There is an ancient demon who the early Christians numbered among the most deadly Acedia. This is the demon who specializes in mediocrity and comfort. His goal is to make sure we never progress in the spiritual life or achieve the greatness for which we were created. It is a laziness, a sadness that rises up in the human heart when they recognize their responsibility to grow to spiritual maturity. Acedia is the demon that whispers in our ear that's too hard. Or someone like you could never be holy or measure up. This demon uses shame and resentment to keep us immobilized. 
A CD then offers us an escape from our responsibilities and insecurities, which takes on various forms such as technology and Netflix binges and social media, pornography, alcohol, drugs, career. The spirit of Asidia will do everything in its power to make us comfortable and complacent about spiritual things so that we believe we're just fine just the way we are. There's no great need for us to change or grow spiritually. Well, like the Magi, and unlike King Herod, we need to open up our hearts to hear and respond to God. Because Jesus longs for us to hear him, and he is speaking. And he wants to speak to each one of us this morning. So let's do a real quick prayer. Lord, as we continue in this sermon, we pray that you give us ears to hear what you want us to hear today. And the strength by your spirit to obey what you speak to us, Lord. Amen. So now let's turn to the wise men or the the magi and why Herod and the crowds would have responded the way they did to the message. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Disturbed means troubled. It means agitated. It means stirred up. It means to shake violently. That was the reaction of Herod and all of Jerusalem with him. Why was King Herod and Jerusalem so disturbed? Well, because of fear, first of all. Imagine an entourage of magi from the east, say from Iran or Iraq or just even soldiers from Iraq just marching into town unannounced one day, one night. What would we think? Well, the magi would have arrived in their pomp and regalia riding not on camels, but probably on Arabian Um, horses and Persian steeds from their home country. There would have not been just three magi, more likely a parade of magi, an entourage. We think it's three because of the three gifts mentioned. Furthermore, they were foreigners from a distant land called Arabia with a reputation of being wealthy and powerful and spiritual and wise and studied and influential. They were regarded as, as kingmakers in their parts. And they were faithful to respond to the prophetic sign pointing to the newborn king of the Jews, a sign in the sky, according to Daniel 9 and Numbers 24, this prophecy and the sign which led them to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem. Now, if you heard um, about this Facebook post, like a king has been born, you wouldn't give any credence to it. But if you heard Billy Graham if he were living still, or someone like Beth Moore, or David Jeremiah, if he were still living, or N.T. Wright, or Greg Laurie, perhaps if you heard that they had a dream last night, the same dream, and then you heard that there were political leaders who also heard through the night the same dream, national and international leaders, they all come together and they pronounce that God spoke to them in a dream, in a vision, that he's going to return during the month of January, then how would we respond? Would we yawn with apathy? No, there would be great fear in a lot of people's hearts. Like right before Y2K if you were born then, or right after 9-11, or right after COVID-19 broke out and loved ones began to get ill, there would be great fear in the land. 
Well, why else would Herod be so fearful and disturbed? Herod feared losing control of his throne. You know that, right? Earlier, the shepherds emphasized the Savior being bored. And again, shepherds were considered nobodies, really, or, or low, lower class employees. But now, these powerful magi are coming, and they're pronouncing that a king has been born. That's an entirely different story to Herod. A king? Now you're reigning on my parade. Well, kings demand allegiance. Jesus would grow up and teach his disciples that you need to follow me as Lord. If you're going to follow me, then you need to die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. A king demands us to submit to his authority in every area of our life. A king will not compete with any other person who seeks to sit on his throne. And when King Herod heard that a king, the king of the Jews was born, he was the king of the Jews, as pronounced by Caesar himself. Now you're cramping my style. Now you're homing on my territory. There's no room for two thrones in my kingdom, he said. And Herod would now have to defend his reign. I think there's little King Herod in each one of us. Don't we get disturbed when Jesus asks us to commit to him as Lord over our finances or our time or our recreational activities or our relationships? He wants to be king over our health. And we don't want to make him king because we fear that, ah, I want to be in control. I don't want to re remove myself from the throne of my life. I feel like I'll lose or I'll be out of control. And, oh, man, and it's scary. It's scary to get off the throne of our lives and, and hand it over to Jesus, who is the Lord and King. Savior gives us what we need, but a king demands our lives. A Savior, uh, King Herod in us, comes out when we would rather rule than serve others when we'd rather focus on what we need and what we want rather than focus on others and giving to them, when we would rather be honored than look for ways to honor other people, when we would see others as a threat instead of people that matter to God. Well, guess what? Jesus is in the business of disturbing people when they're sitting on his throne. And he disturbed Herod and all of Jerusalem with him by being born. Herod was disturbed because another rival king was born, and this was the king of kings. And when Herod heard the message that this newborn king was born, he responded in a third way. He became even more obsessed with sitting on the throne. He was throne obsessed because Herod was a taker, not a giver. Unlike the Magi who were givers, and how did Herod the Great gain his power, his reputation, his wealth, his um, how did he do so? Well, we don't know much from the Bible, but we know a lot from the historian Josephus, who was born in Jesus' day. He was, he was born in A.D. 37 and died about 100 A.D. And so this respected, well-known historian named Josephus wrote this a little history lesson about Herod. Herod was born as an Arab in an Arab nation in 73 B.C., and he was born as an Edomite. Edomite. 
Esau came from the Edomites of Jacob and Esau. Esau was an Edomite, the father of the Arab nations. Edom was about 100 miles south of Jerusalem. Jacob was Edom's, uh, was Esau's twin brother, and Jacob became Israel, or the father of Israel. So Herod's parents were forced to convert to Judaism uh, by one of their former national rulers. So Herod was raised as an Arab by nationality, but he was, he was converted as a child to uh, Judaism. For that reason, the Jewish Pharisees and the Zealots would have despised Herod because of the Edomite Arab heritage, and the Romans would have despised Herod because of his Jewish connection. But the Roman Senate, nonetheless, they declared Herod king of the Jews in 40 BC after Herod was successful at engineering a three-year defeat of these anti-Roman guerrilla Uh, soldiers trying to create problems in the Roman Empire. And so Herod went from governor of Galilee to the the king of all of Israel, Galilee, Samaria, and um, Judah as well, Judea. And once Herod began to reign over the entire region of Judea unopposed, he would focus his energy at increasing the power of his throne. So how did he do so? He rebuilt cities. He strengthened the city of Jerusalem's walls. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem to appease the Jews. He would also build pagan temples um, because he didn't want to offend those who weren't Jews. um, And he wanted to compromise in that way the Roman Empire. Herod forged allegiances with foreign uh, leaders by marrying their daughters. He He had 11 wives. He acquired great wealth and power by taxing his people. And with the tax money, he constructed seven palaces, seven theaters, one seating 10,000 people. He built sports stadiums, uh, one seating 300,000 fans. And you compare that with Kansas City's Arrowhead Stadium, which can seat 76,000. This was far grander. He he contributed great amounts of money uh, to Greece to build up the Olympic Games. Herod became paranoid of death as he watched the poisoning of his own father when he was younger. Therefore, he built fortresses, strategically placing them between Jerusalem and his home country in Moab, um, seven of them. In case he's traveling, he had a place to stay and hide out for fear of his life. Herod executed 45 of the 71 members of the Jewish Sanhedrin when they uh, opposed him in some way. I wonder if you can imagine a president who would kill like 45 members of his cabinet or of, of Congress because they opposed him in some, some way. We wake up overnight and we hear a news report, 45 in Congress, dead, you know. Like Hitler or Mao Zedong or, or the mafia bo- boss named Guido, people would feel like they need to tiptoe around leaders like this because if they step out of line or say something out of line, then... <laughs> They'd be goners, right? Herod was throne obsessed. He was a taker. Of his ten wives, he killed only one, the one that he loved the most, named Marion. He also ordered the violent death of Marion's mother, two brother-in-laws, an uncle, three of his sons, two of which belonged to Marion and him, propelled by fear that they were trying to grab the throne prematurely. 
Why did he kill Miriam, the one that he loved? Because someone spread the rumor that she was having an affair without his knowledge. Um, Herod killed his barber, who quietly spoke up in favor of Miriam. Caesar Augustus once said of Herod, it's better, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son, because as a, a Jew, he wouldn't eat pork, but he has no problem killing his sons. Because of all the construction projects, many jobs were created, and the economy flourished under his reign. And so in many ways, people appreciated him. Herod the Great became Herod the Great because of the great things that he accomplished. In the same way that we would consider like an American president great if they would strengthen our economy and provide jobs, etc. But don't forget, there was another leader named Hitler who was great in the eyes of Germany for some years before the evil was uncovered, right? Ortho... Uh, Cuban said this, according to orders made about Herod's death, soldiers were to round up 70 of Judea's most distinguished leaders into Jerusalem's theater and execute all of them under Herod's rule, uh, his order. And Herod justified this final act of cruelty by saying that it would ensure that the Jews would lament upon his passing. And so when Herod ultimately died, they, they didn't do that, fortunately, but no one really mourned the death of Herod either. In other words, Herod ended up on the ash heap of history, as so many dictators have before and after him, reminding us that those who live throne-obsessed um, lives, where we are primarily takers, will reap what we eventually we will eventually reap what we sow. Galatians 6, it, it, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their sinful flesh or their sinful nature, from that flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So these other power-driven dictators, obsessed leaders, like Adolf Hitler, he went into a bunker and he shot himself as the nation crumbled around him. Another one, Saddam Hussein, was found hiding in a hole and was eventually executed by his own people. Muammar Gaddafi was hunted down by his own people, beaten and shot to death. And then Herod the Great, like them, achieved greatness during this lifetime. He had anything that he wanted at his fingertips. But the last year of Herod's life was torture because he developed a disease and he was racked in pain and every night for the last year of his life he would scream through the night in pain through those long nights. The baby born in a manger would grow up and teach for those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake, Jesus said, will find it. So the question is who's sitting on the throne of your life? Do we live our life primarily as givers, like the uh, wise men, sacrificially giving in many ways, or are we primarily takers? And what do our daily activities indicate? Let's go on to verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He went to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So Herod wanted to go worship Jesus, right? Wrong. If Herod had been telling the truth, then he would have gone down in history as one who was faithful, available, and teacher, this king of the Jews, who was appointed by the Roman Empire. This king submitted himself to the king of kings, king over his life, and we honor him for that. But no, Herod was lying out his teeth. The Magi, on the other hand, well, they went and found baby Jesus, who is now actually one and a half, two-year-old at the time, and they were regarded as fat followers of God because faithful, available, and teachable. They humbly submitted to God by traveling, by sacrificing, by seeking, by worshiping him, by presenting and offering the, their best gifts to this newborn king. And then they obeyed the voice of God when they heard it, and they returned home to their country via a different route to escape Herod's wrath. I guess people could say Herod was fat too, but not faithful, available, and teachable. He was fearful, apathetic, and throne-obsessed, a taker. His true motives were revealed by his actions, and we read about that in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under with the hopes that he would, he would catch this baby king and kill him as well, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what he said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. At least a dozen young boys were murdered that day because... A man wanted to retain his power. And this is a part of the Christmas story. And we don't sing Christmas carols about this. But it's very real. Because there's a lot of suffering and evil in the world around us. And, and Satan is waging war, trying to gain our souls, to distract us, to prevent us from coming to know him to begin with, uh, Jesus, to begin with. Satan is waging war in the spirit realm. I just did a funeral last week for a 45-day-old baby and this young couple who should be celebrating Christmas with their newborn child and, and looking forward to enjoying family time um, in a season of joy. Well, they're not. They're grieving hard right now because we live in a really broken, fallen world. But even during the message, I referred to this. I said, you know, the part of the Christmas story is pain. And that's exactly why we need a savior and why we need a king to reign in our lives, to make it through the suffering of this world with his strength. Well, Herod achieved most of what he had set out to achieve in life, and many would regard him as, man, I aspire to be like him. I want what he has but many would argue that Herod gained the world and it benefited so many because of his accomplishments, his building projects, etc. But sadly, when Herod came to the end of his life, he lost everything. He lost everything and even so much more. 
Jesus again said, for those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but they forfeit their life or their soul? Or what will we give in return for their life? So the lesson in this story is don't get duped by the attitude and the spirit of Herod, the things we live for. Because a real battle is taking place for ownership of who we are. And frankly, even if we are owned by Jesus, we're children of God, Satan wants to immobilize us from being messengers to others who are yet to know him. And so he will distract us and he'll get us to play the Herod game, game and focus on our lives rather than focus on others. So will you decide to live your life like Herod or will you decide to continue to live your life as the Magi? The Magi were fat. They were faithful, available, and teachable. We'll, we'll look briefly at more about them on, on uh, next Sunday night, Christmas Eve. But Herod... He too was fat, but he was fearful, apathetic with the demonic spirit of acedia, and he was thrown obsessed taker. The Magi found life. Herod lost his life. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, this is a really a heavy message for this time of year, but it's very real too because. Our world is messed up. And yes, we need, we need to focus on you, Jesus, that you are the Savior, that you come to give us peace and joy and freedom, and, and we need you as the Lord of our lives. We confess, Lord, that we often sit on the throne of our lives, even as Christians. We want to be in control. We don't want you to be Lord over our lives, really. Uh, But we confess that we need to allow you to sit on the throne of our lives, Lord. Seek you first, that our lives will fall into proper order, and that we become the people that you intend us to be, and that we be used in the way that you intend to use us for your glory and your purposes. And so, Lord Jesus, we come humbly to repent, but we also come with a spirit of gratitude saying, thank you, Lord, for coming to be our Savior and our Lord. Amen.